Welcome, ladies, to By Every Word. This is Lauren here. I'm here with Colby today. Welcome, Colby. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm very full. This is a full lesson yes. we're going to talk about. <laughs> I'm excited. I'm excited. Yes. So, ladies, we do hope you had a good break and that you had time to dig into Chapter 19. That's what we're going to be discussing today. Um, so much to learn. This is Paul finally being able to spend time at Ephesus. He has longed to go there and spend time there, and now he enters into Ephesus. Ephesus um, was a, the key port city in the Roman province of Asia. Um, when we speak of Asia, Asia Minor was more on the west western coast. Um, Ephesus was an uh, amazing city. It was kind of a central city, like a hub or a spoke of a wheel. There were a number of other uh, cities that were smaller, towns that were around it um, that were kind of like satellites. Ephesus was really the, the center. I guess it's kind of like we have big cities and then we have suburbs. It's going to, sort of that way, I guess, but not as populated. Um, and these particular outlined cities because when we hear later that the word was spreading forth all over Asia, um, these cities are mentioned in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 because Jesus wrote letters to each of, he had John write letters to each of these cities, which is kind of you know crazy when you think it. We had um, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And if you look at a map, um, obviously an Old Testament map or a New Testament map that was of that day, you can see um, where they sat in relationship to Ephesus. Um, but Ephesus also was a uh, center for uh, obviously the worship that we've seen all over the place. Um, we'll get into the worship of Diana or Artemis, which we see later in our passage. Um, there also was... Um, worship for emperors. They had temples set up for emperors also there. Um, so there's different Caesars and whatnot. So it was a very idolatrous place like the, the cities we have been seeing. But this, this chapter for me personally, I don't know about you, Colby, but it's just been bringing out a lot for me to think about um, because we have the power of God going forth um, through Paul, um, but it was the power of God going forth. We have demons being cast out. We have people recognizing and coming under the fear of God, which brings a huge transformation. And for me, this, and I'll get into it later when I'm sharing on certain portions, but it had a lot to do with the, the spiritual warfare between darkness and light, mm -hmm. because when the light shines strongly in the darkness it dispels it it breaks its hold it mm -hmm. breaks its power and we see that happening in this absolutely and yeah. it starts it starts by those who uh come to know who jesus is and are filled with the holy spirit so with that i'm gonna let you take over and yeah. start us off in this passage no that's so good and i agree we have so so much that we're full so let's get into it um and I will not read, I will try not to read the verse by verse because it does take time. And I know that we've read it so many times, but just in a nutshell, when Paul comes to Ephesus, he sees some disciples. Again, the disciples, that's a good word. That means that these um, God-fearing, Christ-knowing, really, we know that John already spoke about Christ to them, that he is coming. He is someone who is going to baptize them with a fire and with a spirit. Uh, but they have not really known more. They did not know that the Spirit has been um, bestowed upon the people, as we saw in the Acts 2. So Paul somehow ends up questioning, and I don't know if it was something that he discerned, or was it just that he had the habit, hey, have you heard about the Spirit? Has the Spirit fallen upon you? In different versions of the Bible, you see uh, different ways of saying it. There is... Um, uh, there is uh, receiving the Holy Spirit. Has it come upon you? Have you been baptized with the Holy Spirit? And even though some of the teachers go much into the details on how what exactly each one of them means, the more you study and the more you see, really, um, in my own head, I've thought it's almost like this. The Holy Spirit pulling us closer and closer, and it's almost like this gradual line where you know when you're filled with the Spirit, but you also know when the Spirit is just tucking your cords. These disciples had really been God-fearing. They love God. They know the scriptures, and Paul is asking, have you been baptized by the Spirit? And they say, we have not. And my version here says, we have not even heard that there is a 
Holy Spirit. But that's a peculiar way to say, if you if you study the Old Testament, if you study the scriptures, the Jewish uh, Torah or Tanakh, you will know Holy Spirit. It is the same whenever we see the Spirit of the Lord or the Spirit of God. This is the Ruach HaKodesh. This is the same thing as the Holy, Pure, set apart the God's uh, Spirit. So they knew about the existence of the Spirit, but they did not know what Paul meant. And Paul, of course, zealous as he is, makes it very quickly, very clear. He uh, hears this in verse 5. They were baptized straight away into the name of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus is the one whose Spirit is the Holy Spirit. If you become one with Lord Jesus, you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But Paul also lays hands on them, and we see that in certain accounts, not all of the accounts, where the apostle or the elder will will set the hands on these people and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. What happens next is reminds us again of the Acts 2, most notably, but also the Cornelius house and some of the other accounts that we've gone through now, where the Holy Spirit is visibly falls upon them, they will start worshiping the Lord and tongues also come forth. And they and it says here they will be speaking in tongues and prophesying, glorifying the Lord. And it says that there was about 12 men saying basically this group was filled with the Spirit again as a whole bunch of people. Sometimes I feel, Lauren, I don't know about you, but in today's society, we we think about it very personally and very, very uh, segregatedly. But really the Holy Spirit can come upon a group of people. You know, we see that all over in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. When the Holy Spirit is near, there is this anointing or the strength or the power where God himself is manifest and everybody who's hungry is able to pull on to it. Yes. Again, one of those moments where I personally am inspired by Paul going after what he knows is the higher truth or further truth. We've talked about it, I think, in regards to Cornelius before, that whoever fears the Lord, even if they're not Christians, that might be revolutionary thought, but even if you're not a Christian, you fear the Lord, you want the truth, you want the fullness of understanding of how this world works or what is the truth. The Lord's eyes are upon these people and Mm -hmm. he will draw near and he will get them more and more and more. But even as Christians, wherever we are today, doesn't matter how far. Paul is saying, I have not received it all yet either. I have not reached the fullness of it, but I will go further because the Lord always pulls us deeper. Mm -hmm. The fullness of revelation will be at the day when we see him. Today, we're all still studying, but he is that father figure who goes and asks, hey, children, do you want to know what's next? Do you want to know what's next? And if we approach each other that way, then we grow and uh, and hone into each other. Is that it? <laughs> You're nodding. Yes, yes, yes. No, it's so true because the Holy Spirit, as even as even Christ said to his disciples, that when he was teaching about the Holy Spirit that was to come, he said, he is with you and he will be in you. Yes. And that is so true because the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives even before he lives in us. And uh, I have a personal experience yeah. with that. I mean, <laughs> I was going to share this later, but it's, it's for me, it's a, it was a testimony. I grew up uh, not involved with the church, not a Christian. I didn't really, I knew Jesus was a little baby in a manger in the Christmas story. That was it as far as Jesus. But yeah. I always believed there that God is real, that there is a, a God. And I believed it's the creator God. Um, and when I was in fifth grade, I got a little New Testament Psalms given to me at chapel at school back in Hawaii. And um, I didn't even open it, but I just hid it because in my room somewhere special, because I knew I somehow just, I knew that was absolutely important. It was special and there was power Mm -hmm. in this. And so at times when I was upset or sad, you had this little thing index in the back. If you're sad, look up this scriptures. If you need help, these scriptures. So I was familiar a little bit, but I didn't know much more than that. And I remember as a young teen, I was in my grandmother's house uh, in Waimea on the big island. And I was very sick with a bad flu. I had a high fever and I was just shivering and aching all over. And I was scared because I, I just, you know, when your body's overrun like that, it's scary. And I was laying on my bed and I just looked straight up and I said, God, help me. And 
I had like this electric shock kind of go all the way through my body and my fever just broke Mm. and I started getting better. And it was, it always stuck with me because I didn't know God, but God knew me and had his eye on me. The Holy Spirit was actively at work in my life, directing me toward him. And then when I finally came to hear the truth and that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, and I believed the Holy Spirit came to live in me. So it is, it's a testimony to the fact that the the Lord, he created us for relationship with him Mm -hmm. and he wants us to know him and he wants us to be known by him. And so it's a relational uh, advance. He is after He's after our hearts. And if yes. our hearts are open, then it's a matter of time if we seek. Yes. And I, yeah, as we'll see later, you know, the idea of, of that open heart and really wanting, fearing God, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what comes up later too. Yeah. yeah. Very good. I actually really enjoy that you had the testimony right now, because what I'm thinking too is we have almost as windows. This was your window to cry out to God. Yes. You were in trouble. And the Lord saw that you cried out to him, yes. not cursing. <laughs> you did not yes, go in a different point. direction, right? So his highs are, and but it's not always, it's almost like there's times where we're kind of dull and we do our routine things. But then there's these moments when we know that spiritually there is this open window to go further. Yeah. And I feel like Paul really supplied this window to those disciples to go further, to step into the river, to step and become part of the body that is led by the spirit. Mm-hmm. We know how the, Paul later writes about the fact that who do not hear or do not heed the spirit, they do not belong to him. Who have yes. no spirit, they don't even belong to him. So we're talking about sometimes good people who may, like you were saying, acknowledge that there is creator God, but are not united to the body by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to drink and be led by the same spirit. This is the spirit that will, um, that is the down payment. Yes. Seal. That is the sign that when the Lord's eyes are going across the land, he will notice his people. Um, I don't want to go too much off the topic, so we'll go back here. Now, the supernatural feeling of the spirit, what happens in verse um, six, cannot be done by Paul, cannot be done by me or anyone else. It's always supernatural. We can pray for one another. But John 1.13 says, these people are born of God born of spirit, born from above. It's also a separate event. The feeling of the spirit seems to be separate because in, and there's only one that I mentioned, but in many times in gospels, it's repeated. And Jesus himself is saying, and John is saying, I baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, John baptized you, but I will, or my father will. So it's always two separate things. It's not automatically the same either. That's why Paul can ask, have you since or did you then um, be filled with the Holy Spirit? Um, Now, did you know that? I did not. But I found out that there's over 60, it's almost 70 functions that the Holy Spirit biblically um, is for the believer in his body. So living without the Holy Spirit as a believer is a pretty, pretty sad thing to do because you are missing almost 70 functions. You know, and we know certain of them, right? Reminding the truth, bringing us into the body, empowering us. We see Paul walking in the power. Remember the reason why Jesus said, go now to the upper room, wait, do not move before the Holy Spirit has been given to you because then you will receive the power. This is our year's um, theme this year, right? is that to receive the dynamis, uh, the power, the the actual strength of walking and knowing and discerning and being able, very importantly, function in the spiritual gifts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You do not have a spiritual gift if you don't have a spirit, if you don't, you know, all of these things. But the Lord is growing and giving more. So in the Bible, biblically, you can see, like you're saying, a spirit coming upon someone. Spirit leading someone, but also filling. And there's this in Ephesians, we hear that command, be filled with a spirit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be filled is a command. That means it's your job. Since you are a believer and you, we all are baptized into the Jesus Christ. The spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. You stir it up. You go for it. You learn about it. You heed to it. You love his leading more 
than the thoughts of human reasoning. And that's how we go. So um, John 7, 37, 39 says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's a famous part. And then it goes, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, out of your heart, will flow the rivers of living water. And this is what he said about the spirit, whom those who believed were to receive. Mm. Not only those who confess, but the ones who daily believe, who walk, who heed, to, who follow him, who cling to him. The word cling, I, I've actually grown to love. It's an Old Testament word, but hold on to the Lord. Hold on to the yes. holiness. Um, Romans 8, 9, again, Paul, right, mm -hmm. uh, is talking about the fact that the spirit leading can be in enmity. Actually, he says it is. It says Romans 8, um, from 7 and 8, I will start. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, now he talks to those who he's writing to, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, does it dwell in you today? Are you dwelling in him and is he dwelling in you? Are, are you obeying? And I know we're going to get more into the whole fear of the Lord brings obedience to you. You know that he is your loyalty, your fullness belongs to him. But that also is why Jesus says um, Holy Spirit is given to those who obey. It is given to those who walk in my ways. And then uh, in Romans, Paul finishes up, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Mm -hmm. So it's not like we had it, we've heard about it, we, we have the check mark. It really is an abiding in the spirit, living by the spirit. So I guess one of the questions is when you have that moment, maybe we should all ask, what would we answer if, let's say Jesus would ask, have you been filled with my spirit? Have you been baptized with my spirit? Do you know what it is to be woke in the spirit? And if we don't honestly know how to respond, I think honestly, this is one of the trademarks. The people who are filled with the spirit, they know it. Uh, the more vaguely you know about it, the more I would say, go in your prayer closet, ask for it. Just go for it, ask for it. The anointing is there, the Lord is there. Go to your pastors, just seek those things and let's get stirred up. Let's get filled with the spirit because one of my good friends, and I know I've said it before, said, hey, the book of Acts cannot function without the Holy Spirit. When you look at the details, it does not function. The church, the first church would not function. Paul would not function without the Holy Spirit. How could we imagine that we could make it all happen somehow <laughs> without dividing in the living spirit daily? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? One of the details I wanted to um, say also, which sometimes I think we forget this, Holy Spirit is dynamics. It will shake up your life. It, when you become filled with the Spirit, it does change. And actually for the notes, I thought I will add to the listeners one of the very uh, impactful for me testimonies of the great revival in Russia, where a person who was Christian and was a pastor for a long time, but what happened after he was filled with the Spirit? The whole area was the same way you know we're talking Paul having this great impact and um and these things happen today with people uh who, who just heed to the spirit all right I will go to the verse six then mention again the laying hands um this really is the means of grace it's not magical but the Holy Spirit has indicted, has instructed us to lay hands for blessing, uniting, setting apart, to inaugurate, to commission out people, do those things. Who does? Sometimes I hear that people say that only apostle, but it's not It's not really true. In the Bible, you see also the church laying hands to the apostles. You will see Ananias, who is not apostle, laying hands on Paul. You'll see also uh yeah, Moses, patriarchs, priests, Israelites. So there's a lot of that. Um, two things that I wanted to say before I go to the further about tongues. And I know this is the topic where everybody gets a little nervous, but I thought biblically I want to address really quickly just the two misunderstandings that I personally see most. One is that people um, tend to think that it's very rare that having or receiving the gift of tongues 
is just very, very rare. And I can see that here in America, at least in where we are in our circles, it's quite rare. It's not too much of it. But listen to the um, the fact even here that all 12 men received the spirit and started prophesying and speaking in tongues. Same in Acts 2, same in Acts 10 with Cornelius. And then let's go to the first Corinthians 14, 23. And listen, the whole if the whole church comes together, and everyone speaks in tongues, he says. If everyone speaks in tongues and then unbelievers come in, in, will they not say that you're crazy? So there was this Corinthian church at that time was spirit-filled where people could have gotten together and everybody speaking in tongues. It was very prevalent. And the other one would be that tongues always must be understood by someone. And I think it comes a lot of times from that book of Acts where in the second where it says people heard their own languages, right? Um, but let's go again to the first Corinthians where Paul writes much more about tongues. Really, if you have questions about tongues, first uh, Corinthians 14 is just a great place to go because it, Paul addresses a lot of those confusions. 14, 14 to 15, it says, for if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is not unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with a spirit, which he equates here praying in tongues, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing in the spirit without my understanding again, but I will sing also with the understanding. So um, this idea is that there is a prayer language um, where our understanding is not with it, but the spirit helps us to pray. In 1 Corinthians 13, 1, he also talks about the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. So if I do have every language, language of a man or of angels, but I do not have love, I have become a noisy one. But just to be encouraged, because Paul writes also to be zealous and he earnestly seek for the gifts of the spirit and saying that these things are, are something to be zealously um, go after. And sometimes I see that people are waiting and saying that if the Lord wills, then it will happen. But really, you see that when we go to the epistles, when we go to the attitude of Paul, he stirs up the people to be intertwined, to be led by the Spirit. Now, just so that I wouldn't leave you guys hanging and nobody would think that tongues is the exact indicator, I have a short list of just the things that actually are biblically indicators. Growing in Christ-likeness is the number one indicator of being filled with the Spirit. If you're growing, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, growth from one degree of glory to another comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The other one, of course, is fruit of the spirit in character. How is our character? Galatians 5.22. Then also the boldness, power, clarity, drive, zeal. Acts 4.31 says they were all filled by the Holy Spirit and they preached with boldness. Acts 4.8 says, then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said to them and starts building up this message that, uh, that turned 3,000 men that day. So the boldness and zeal we can discern. Again, it is a discernible uh, thing too. And then personal spiritual gift. The, if you're sitting and don't know if you have a gift or what is your gift or what is the function for you in the church, then again, go and seek the Lord and and hold on to the things that the pro either through the prophecy or through the spirit leading have been given to you and grow stronger in it. Second Timothy 1, 6 to 7 says, I remind you to flame the gift of the gift of God, which is in, through, in you uh, through the laying of my hands. Because, verse 7, God gave us the spirit of not fear, but power, love and self-control. And finally, and very importantly, John 15, 8 fruit bearing in the kingdom. So it's not just personal, but also you bear much fruit. And so prove to me disciples. And this is what Paul is doing. And uh, I know Lauren, your part really feeds into that. The fruit of the kingdom. What was the Ephesus, the hub of the pagan idol worship? And Paul's desire, heart's desire was to go and influence all of that for the kingdom of God and bring the gospel into that darkness that could actually affect the whole world. Yeah. So um, before uh, going, uh, 
one of the things about the synagogue, we always see Paul going first. And verse uh, 8, he says again, he went to the um, synagogues for three months, boldly speaking, reasoning, persuading. But then some became callous. It's the medical term of really hard hard skin, not softness, and continued in unbelief, started talking badly uh, about the way, and then Paul withdrew from them. Then going to the hall of Tyrannus and speaking with Gentiles. Now, the thought there is he always went to Jews, because again, these are the children, the first ones to be called, right? We, we always should not forget the, the, the nation of uh, Jesus Christ himself. But also at that time, what happened was the synagogue started using something against the Christians. See, we always say, oh, how did they go to the to those um, synagogues? Because today they don't. Um, and it turns out that they actually started putting a curse on Christians who would be united and confessing Christ. There was something like an oath of anathema which means that they would make everybody who comes into the synagogue and uh, as brethren to confess that they do not believe in Jesus Christ. So from that moment on, it was very hard to really go into the synagogue and, and speak with them. So, and in that point in the history, then of course the churches started being much more in the homes and, and the synagogue was not anymore an option. So just finally this historical thing. So Lauren, again, I ran so fast. <laughs> Take it out. <laughs> I know my zeal is there, and you know I, I know. Let me so explain why. <laughs> I know because I'm from a different part of the country, and I've traveled a lot. And sometimes it, in a way, uh, frustrates. It's sad. It's sad to see when people teach into the wrong ways of understanding, um, because the more we believe, the more we fruit we see. And that's the only reason why I go against sometimes of those. You know, not, not everybody has a gift or the Lord needs to shake me up before he gives me a gift. No, we all have the power of the spirit in our lives. And it is our job to heed and go close and grow close and seek him mm -hmm. with all our might and love mm -hmm. him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. The Lord does call us to seek, seek him fervently. John, uh, John chapter uh, 13, 14, 15, mostly 14 and 15, Jesus is talking about what it means to abide in him, abide in his love. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. I mean, those are all the bottom yeah. lines you already mentioned. Um, that if anyone loves me, he'll, he'll will keep my word. And the result is if my father will love him and I will love him and we will come and make our home with him. And you've got a fullness, Amen. a picture of fullness where there is no lack. And the result of that, as Jesus said about abiding in his love is, um, you know, I, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. And he says that so that our joy, his joy will be in us and our joy might be made full. Yes. And that's, you know, that's, that's partly what I think you're talking about, but just to, to lead into our other part of our passage, um, when you were sharing about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does, Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes and I'm looking at John chapter 16 verses, um, eight through 11 right now, it says, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment. Mm-hmm of sin because they do not believe in me, of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. And we see the Holy Spirit doing all of that in yes. this next section of yes. the passage right here. So let's yes. go ahead and go to um, we'll start verse 11. I too don't want to read all the way through, but there's some amazing things in here. Um, when it said God was doing extraordinary or special or unusual miracles by the hand of Paul, one of the one of the uh, definitions of that word extraordinary is to hit the mark. And of course, we know that the miracles is dunamis. It's that strength, power, and ability. It's like dynamite, right? As we always say. So he, God was hitting the mark with great power and ability through Paul, by the hands of Paul, 
by the, that, that means that he was using Paul to do that. Paul was the vessel of honor that God worked through in an unusual way to demonstrate his power to heal and deliver so that even handkerchiefs or aprons, handkerchiefs would be some like a sweat rag you would even put over your head while you're working, aprons that you would put on when you're working. So these are actual real things that he would have worn that had touched his skin, were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. This whole passage is a great picture of darkness being dispersed by the power of light. Amen. Yes. And we'll see that a little bit more. So I'm not going to go too into much, but it's like demons flee, disease flee. Mm-hmm. Just, it just, yeah. Not because of Paul, but because of Jesus, no, the power of, of holiness. His, well, if you think about it, when I was looking at this passage, um, in terms of the, the handkerchiefs or aprons, I was mm-hmm. mindful of that woman who had a hemorrhage forever and she was she was following after jesus said if i only touch the hem of his garment okay that's just the hem of his garment i will be healed and jesus felt the power going out of him i thought of moses whose face shone he had to wear a veil the glory of god being carried by a pure vessel of god is an amazing thing it carries the power of god the authority of god and this person also carries the glory of god to disperse the darkness. And that's what we see here. It's a light that shines so bright that people know it's there and are attracted to it. In Acts chapter five, we see a similar atmosphere. Um, We see a similar situation. Um, Peter and the apostles were doing miracles in the early church, bringing sick into the street so that even Peter's shadow might fall on them and they might be healed. Um, And this was right after the fear of God fell upon the church because of how God, through Peter, struck Ananias and Sapphira dead after they had lied to the Holy Spirit. Now here in Ephesus, we see God doing extraordinary miracles of healing and casting out demons through Paul, that the roaming Jewish exorcist decided that they were going to try to use the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, to do their exorcisms, to cast out demons. And we know that doesn't work out too well for for them. But I was looking into these, these Jewish exorcists because... Okay, where did these come from? But apparently it was a practice permitted by custom of the Jews, and they would use um, particular uh, scents, meaning smells or fumigation. They would burn certain herbs or even organs of animals, creatures, uh, to create a smoke and a smell. Uh, They would recite specific words or passages, uh, particularly Solomon and David, invoking powerful or an authoritative names to expel demons like names of God, uh, holy men, archangels. Um, and I was looking a little bit to find some more information on this. And um, there, there is mention of such things in various Jewish writings, like from the third century, Talmudic writings, rabbinical literature, and um, also in the Qumran. One of the things I found uh, was a was by Josephus, as we know, he's a historian who wrote a lot uh, about the history of of Christianity and Jews during this time, and in Antiquities five forty five, excuse me, Antiquities eight forty five through forty nine, he includes an eyewitness about an exorcism, and uh, he was talking about a a, a fellow Jew from uh, Eleazar. His name was Eleazar, and he was releasing people that were demon possessed in the presence of Vespasian and his sons, his captains, and the whole multitude of his soldiers. So it was a very public thing. Um, it says this, the manner of the cure was this. He put a ring that had a root of one of those sorts mentioned by Solomon to the nostrils of the demon-possessed person, after which he drew out the demon through his nostrils. And when the man fell down, immediately he commanded the demon to return to the man no more, still making mention of Solomon and reciting the incantations which he composed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I was wondering, well, where did this come from? And I apparently in the Dead Sea Scrolls, which they found, there were a number of Psalms, not necessarily Psalms that we would recognize, but one was very much recognizable. Um, There were four that are called the Exorcism Psalms from the Qumran. And they both were, uh, these are Psalms of David and Psalms of Solomon. So it makes sense why he was talking about Solomon. One of them is Psalm 91. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. more of an idea of not casting out, but more of defenses against demons. Um, and so they would quote Solomon or David and whatnot in order to do this. So these, these particular um, 
these particular men um, were trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, who Paul preaches, as we know. Uh, so they were using Jesus' name. Now, these these kinds of Jewish exorcists were not something new. If we recall Matthew 12, Jesus actually spoke about these. In Matthew 12, 22 through 30, we hear of a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed him so that he could speak and he could see. And the crowds were amazed and saying, oh, this man can't, cannot, is the son of David, is he? And the Pharisees, when they heard it, of course, said, no, he casts out demons only by Beelzebul, the ruler of the demons. And Jesus here taught because he knew their thoughts, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. He said to them, if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I, this is Jesus, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? <laughs> For this reason, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the Pharisees had presumed and claimed that their sons had cast out demons by the Holy Spirit because, of course, they felt that they were the ones honoring God and that Jesus was uh, a liar and a blasphemer. But they didn't know God. Even Jesus taught this. He said that they did not know God or they would have recognized him and honored him as coming from God. He taught them this when he would speak to them because Jesus was the exact representation of the Father doing all his works. So instead, they assigned to Jesus' miracles a spirit of Satan as the source of his power, and they blasphemed the Holy Spirit in doing this. So he continues, this is verse 29 and 30 of Matthew 12. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house? He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This is important because Jesus Christ is the only one who entered the strong man's house to plunder it. We see in the mm -hmm. book of Acts what this is because Jesus, he plundered it and he's still plundering it. Amen. Let me explain. Jesus left heaven and entered this world, which was Satan's domain. He's the prince of darkness, right? And Jesus defeated and bound him at the cross and at the resurrection. And death and sin are now defeated. It says in Revelation 1.8 that Jesus holds the keys of death and Hades. So he alone has those now. And as we know, Jesus, when he was in the, in the synagogue and he picked up Isaiah, he read that he'd come to set free the captives, those who were bound in fear of death all their lives. So the kingdom of God has come. The strong man has been bound. And he came to destroy, because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. And the captives have been set free. We, you and I, these people in Acts, all of it, we're part of his plunder and spoil. In Colossians 1.13, it says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved mm. son. That word transferred talks about when you take captives, you're actually parading them into a new kingdom. That's what he's done. He's taken the strong man's goods out of mm. his house and Praise he now God. owns them. It is, it's an amazing Praise picture. Praise God. And deliverer. Yeah. I know, I know. But when you think about this, this is exactly what happened. And we see this come to bear in this passage because people realize darkness and light. Light is shining in the darkness. And this is what we see. Yes. Now he makes a comment. And I'm just going to bring this up again because Jesus said something else uh, in another aspect of Mark chapter 9. Um, and it's important. It just stuck out to me. The last verse that I'm going to read from Matthew 12 is verse 30. It says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. He said that at the end of this discourse with these Pharisees. So Jesus makes clear there are two kingdoms, those who are for him, seeking God's kingdom, and those who are against him, in opposition to God's kingdom, his person, his will, his way. And in his day, in Jesus' day, there were some who did not follow him directly as his disciples, who were doing miracles or casting out demons in his name. The disciples had issue with this. In Mark 9, 38 and 39, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he wasn't following us. And Jesus answered and said, Do not hinder him, 
For there's no one who will perform a miracle in my name and soon be able afterward to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for us. And I thought back to how I, I recognize God's spirit being with me before he came mm-hmm. in me. You know, God chooses who he wants to work through. And he has worked through people uh, in scripture. You see people, he can talk through a donkey if he wants to, he can do whatever he wants. Yes. Um, but those who cast out demons in the name of Jesus, they applied the name of Jesus in some sort of measure of faith. And as Jesus intimates, those who do that will not soon be able to speak ill of him. I cried out to God and he answered me. I didn't know the fullness, but God is still God. And that particular incident never left me. I remembered that. And when I started knowing who Jesus was, that work had already spoken to my heart about the validity. And so God uses these things. So um, let's get back to verse 13. It says, so one of these, when these internet Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of Jesus over those who had evil spirits. I love it. I adjure you by by the the Jesus who Paul preaches that. So there were other, there were other exorcists doing this. And then it says there were also seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Shiva who were doing this. I looked up the the name Skuas, which is how it's pronounced. It actually means mind reader, which I thought was kind of interesting. And mm-hmm. they they thought he was perhaps a chief. Oh, well, he was a chief of the priest of the priests, um, possibly of one of the twenty four courts that they had. But the evil spirit answered, talks to them, says, "Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? I love this." And they overpowered him, and the the guy was the guy was uh, the, with the demon. Uh, beat up all seven of them, which is quite something. So they had seen it as something to use for their gain. And they didn't realize that though there is power in the name of Jesus, the authority and power of God himself is not available for personal or professional use. It, he will not, if he will not mm-hmm. tolerate that, um, you know, he, he, he's mindful of that. So the name of Jesus embodies not only God's power and authority, but his very person and his will and purposes. Mm-hmm. And he gives that authority to those who belong to him, who honor him, who are living in line with his will and purposes by faith in him. Now, it's interesting how the demons know and recognize those who are of God, isn't it? Mm-hmm. They know. Mm-hmm. They know. We've seen before demons recognize in Jesus. Oh, here comes the Holy One of God. Yeah. Right? Um, also, we saw that in Acts 16, the, 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 the spirit of divination and the, the girl, slave girl. She, you, she, these men are servants of the most high God. Demons recognize where the Holy Spirit dwells. They recognize the presence of God. And it's important to know that, uh, that his name is above every name and that he has absolute authority. In Ephesians chapter one, we talk about his name has been exalted and there's three realms in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. The demons recognize who Jesus is, they recognize the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has made you and I his ambassadors. This is where I think what the Lord showed me comes in line to what the Lord has shown you and what you shared earlier, Colby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21, um, we talk, it talks about how we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. Christ came to reconcile the world to himself. Mm-hmm. We, are, we are to carry on that ministry. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so we might become the righteousness of God in him. Yes. So there are two mm-hmm. aspects of this. In a ministry of reconciliation, we are called ambassadors. What do ambassadors do? Okay, ambassadors are charged with faithfully utilizing the king's authority, power, and provision for his glory and his kingdom advancement, right? And for upholding the king's reputation. We are to represent the king in all manner of our life, character, and our speech. Okay, and the Holy Spirit is how that happens. The Holy Spirit in us is transforming us into his likeness, is allowing us to walk not in self, but in obedience to God, to love him and to walk according to his word. And the Holy Spirit is also the one who gives us strength, power, wisdom, truth, promptings 
gives us the word of God to come to our remembrance, everything we need to do that. So we are to act in the name of our sovereign. He puts his name on us, his spirit in us to do his kingdom business. And we represent him. And I think that's, that's one of the things. It's a fruit of a righteous character and a life that's going to uphold the reputation of God, you know? And so we need to have a living abiding relationship with the Lord. That really struck out to me. Um, so not only do the demons recognize those who belong to Lord Jesus, but Lord Jesus knows. And I think you were talking about that earlier. Second Timothy two, nine says this, nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. Mm-hmm. Jesus it's, made, mm-hmm. yes, he made this priority clear through a sobering distinction that he made in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. We looked at this as we studied John last year, if you remember, and it just, it's a distinction between those who claim his name and those who abide mm-hmm. in relationship to him. This is a fearful passage, but I think it's one that we need to look at. And I think mm-hmm. it comes back to what you were sharing. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, mm-hmm. but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, mm-hmm. Lord, didn't we not prophesy in your name? And in your name, cast out demons and in your name, perform many miracles. And I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So righteousness and obedience, it matters in our service to the Lord. This is a, this is something that I've just been wrestling with a lot more lately. Mm -hmm. Um, But we need the Lord to know us. We, 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 we say we know the Lord and we want to know the Lord better. Amen to that. Mm -hmm. But we need the Lord to know us. We need to be known by him. And that, that, that is what Paul was doing. He was walking in the power of the yeah. Lord in righteousness. Yes. Do you have something to add? You know, you know, when you share those things, that thought keeps coming to me is um, the Christian, when you look at the church, oftentimes you can hear and you can discern the Christians who are all about God's business, like you were talking about actually doing his will, being his ambassador. What is it what the Lord has for us as a church? Mm-hmm. And you can see these people. And then there is a whole pile of people who are, you know, what what does the Lord have for me? What is it for me? What is yes. it for my family? What's tomorrow yes. like? Can I have my food and bread and clothing? And he says, you shall not worry about those things. If you yes. do my will, Amen. everything else will be added to you. And I'm again going back to Abraham, Moses, and now Paul. And of course, there's many people in between. But the point with all of them is they walked in faith for the kingdom of God. Uh, Abraham did not look for his will. Nope. David did not look for his will. Um, Paul is not walking right now according to what his flesh wants. He's nope. getting beaten, thrown into jail, yes. uh, beaten to the flesh many times. But his joy, like you were saying, that so that our joy would be full is because his kingdom, God's kingdom lives in him. He's walking in the holy ways that are not good for the flesh from the fleshly's point. But seeing what's happening, you we're only getting to what's gonna happen, right? Yes, but yes. What a joy. What yes. a joy. And and that's exactly where I went with this as well, in terms of what I was what the Lord was leading, because we're to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And oftentimes we are trying to find we're seeking our own provision we're seeking the, we're seeking the things we were for we're seeking him and uh, jesus jesus specifically taught this to his disciples when they came back after they had been casting out demons in his name they were so excited about it and this is in luke 10 if you remember they they were sent out the power of the holy spirit was with them he wasn't yet in them, but they were sent out with power and authority. Jesus gave them that. They gave him, he gave them instructions. They came out, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Yes. And he said, yes, this is great. But nevertheless, don't rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So the greatest thing, like you just said, that we can do that, that we can and should rejoice in is our relationship to him, that we're about who he is and letting him show us what we need to do. He's the center of everything that we are. In him, all things hold together. So all the details of our life, of our ministries, everything are secondary to the fact that we know him and that we are known by him. 
that surpassing value of knowing Christ as Lord, who is our life and true joy. That's what Jesus, that's what Paul was talking about. He compared all things that he had to be like trash in comparison. So I too thought about this, you know, I thought sometimes we get off track, we pursue our own personal growth or even giftings. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's good to pursue these things, like you said, Mm -hmm. But for God, not for us. <laughs> I, I think I think when when it comes down to it, I think maybe there's too much self is left in us. We haven't reckoned it all dead. Our world, the whole culture of this world, if you think about Ephesus was all about darkness and idol worship, this world is not any different. The idols are different, or they look different, but they're not really. They're 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 trying to grab our attention and our affection to be worshipped. And so, you know, it is, it takes, it takes thinking about what that means. But if we're called to be his ambassadors and priests, which is what his word says, um, it's God who works through clean vessels. It's, yeah. he wants to, he wants to have holy habitation. Be holy like God. Yes, as I, as exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's, that is where this this lesson here because I, just to continue because i know well i know time's a factor but this is too important of a lesson so let's just go for it um fear falls on them when the people saw that the demons beat up these guys and that the name of the lord was magnified they had fear of the lord it fell on everyone in ephesus in acts chapter 5 it was upon those who were in the church here we have it falling on gentile and jew alike and the name of the Lord was magnified. It says also many of those who were now believers came confessing, divulging their practices, and they brought their magic art books, their other books, and they burned them all in sight of everybody, and they counted the value. And this was amazing because each one of those pieces of silver were a like a Greek drachma, which is one day's wage. If you add that up, it's a stunning amount. But they didn't care. They didn't care because the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of everything. You know, I looked up how much it is. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a couple, six million dollars in today's or whatever. So it says average working wages. So average wage, let's say today, for a person in 137 years. So you could gather that money if you have an average wage in 137 years. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot. But that's what that's what's stunning to me is that the fear of the Lord did not even make that a consideration. They mm-hmm. didn't care. Mm-hmm. Proverbs two five says that when we this is after the verse is talking about seeking wisdom earnestly, digging like digging it for hidden treasure. It says if you are really earnestly seeking, that's that's what you spend your life and focus doing, crying out, digging. Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. So we need to understand the fear of the Lord. And find the knowledge of God. So the fear of the Lord for us as believers is absolutely essential. It's a holy fear. And the result of the fear of the Lord, it's like a door to God's grace. Because when we have fear of the Lord, it's God's grace to repent and move out of our darkness and into light or into greater understanding of who he is, like you were describing earlier. So that's what happened. Many of those who are now believers, they came and they were confessing. This is a public confession they're talking about. They were actually confessing this out loud and showing everybody what evil they had done. Yeah. That is fear. Mm-hmm. I was reading mm-hmm. um, in a particular place, there was a rabbi quoted. Well, actually, it wasn't a rabbi. It was a rabbinic sage called Gerar Rebbe. It says, if a person has fear of anything other than the creator, he's in some degree an idolater. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of truth in that. When we fear someone or something more than God, then we're not fearing God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, knowledge. It's the beginning of, oh, relationship. It's terrifying, but it's a blessing of mercy. As we know, the Spirit brings, yes, the Spirit comes to convict the world regarding sin, righteousness, and judgment. And that's what was happening. Sin, they were convicted of their sin. Righteousness, because yes, righteousness is real. And Jesus is real and he's defeated. He has bound the strong man and he is plundering his house. And the strong man, that is because the evil one has been judged. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world of this. And this is what we see. They're making their public confession. And just a note about confession and bringing things into the light. If we want anything in our life, any bondage to be broken, 
we bring it in to the light. And we can do that by confession, mm. laying it down, and through prayer. Praise God, yes. James talks yes. about that. And it says that if we confess our sins to one another and pray for one another, that we would be healed. And that's what we see happening here. They come and they, they completely release all that. Can you imagine the atmosphere in the city? Oh, can you crazy. just imagine that? That's why we have the riot coming, don't oh, we? <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's why there was a great commotion about the way, as it says, and the riot is because yes. the Lord's yes. word was increasing and prevailing over the darkness. There was a, the light was having an incursion into mm, the darkness, mm. and the darkness didn't like it. It's literally turning the world upside down. The yes. dynamic dynamics is taking just a different shape. The, the people are coming together in the holiness of God with the power of God. Who can stand against that? Amen. Who can stand Amen. Against that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, amazing. Yes. Yep. Wow. So, now, did you? I, I thought you might have had a testimony. You I did actually. I was just wondering. Okay, I will take, do it really short. Too quick. Yeah. One job. of my friends in Estonia is a uh, person who has uh, obviously very much walking in the church, in the spirit, desiring God's things, and has uh, been uh, successful in deliverance ministry for years now. He's actually quite young man, younger than me, but, um, now lately he's getting phone calls from people who he doesn't know actually quite a bit. And one day he got last week, he got that phone call from a judge in Estonia who is very well known and called her him up and said, I have a very interesting thing I need to tell you because, um, in my store, in my, um, law case that I'm having, I have to work against a mafia case. There's some people who are doing uh, high crime. And she, it's a she, was threatened by the occultist, the local occultists, that they will curse her if she pursues the case. And she was laughing and said, this is, you know, she is not the believer. She has no clue. And she is just laughing. But um, after this, a few days later, her tongue swollen up so that he, she would not be able to speak anymore. Then after that, her head started itching so much that she couldn't brush and it became very sensitive. So it hurt and then boils on her body. And she says, so... Yeah, and so she says, I did not know where to go, but in my in myself, I thought that might be, that just might be it, what they were saying. And her friend had then referred her to call. Now, that person, my friend, said to her, before we meet, I would like you to look at one of my videos where she, he goes systematically how to make your life clean. And it's literally get rid of unforgiveness, get, uh, mend your relationships, do not be angry, do not be bitter, but also get rid of witchcrafty occultist elements in your home. And um, when he was confirming with her, she said, I've done it all. I have been spending my days in calling up my family, calling up my friends, setting everything right, and I have gotten rid of the things at home. And uh, he had asked me and my husband and some of our friends to pray for him when they meet because they've never meet, met before. She's not a believer. And we were praying for a breakthrough for her spiritually. And you know what? Similar account. She became spirit-filled Christian. She actually received the tongues as well. She had turned her life around. She cried and said, thank you, Jesus, for saving mm, me. Wow. Wow. And that was just one meeting after all that preparation. But the Lord, I believe, had her, his finger on her like on you, Lauren, you know, from the youth. And these little seeds, it's almost like God knows where he is going to lead you yes. if you just follow the righteousness, if you're not going to turn against him. Mm -hmm. And what a great, what a great testimony. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing Today, that. you know, ah, last week, it's awesome. a fresh one. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well, for the interest of time, um, I just want to just, let's go ahead and I'll just summarize a few points to the end of the passage and then um and then we'll go ahead and conclude with another thought um it's interesting the holy spirit was revealing to paul if we see from verse uh uh 20 uh 1 and 22 um it says that that he was resolved in the spirit um he knew he was going to go through after he'd passed through macedonia and Achaia again he's going to also see rome um so the Holy Spirit was revealing his course and direction. Um, and we'll see in the next chapter, the Holy Spirit was also revealing this to other people about Paul. 
that imprisonment and affliction awaited him in Jerusalem and eventually in Rome as well. Um, the Holy Spirit does that. It does. <laughs> Jesus said he will reveal to you what is to come. He will disclose to you what is to come. And so he was doing that. He's preparing Paul. And the next chapter that we're going to read is, it's, it is an emotional chapter in a lot of ways too. It's, it's pretty powerful. I really love the way Paul loved these people. He'd been there. He was with them for over two years and he just put his life into them and they were, they really were um, his, his beloved sheep. Um, but then he sent Timothy and Erastus into Macedonia um, and it was believed that Paul had written the letter First Corinthians during the end of his time in Ephesus and that was sent by the hands of Timothy and Erastus. Um, so they went on ahead and then he stayed longer. Um, without going into all the details of the last section, um, we, we had the picture uh, painted for us that there was a great craft uh, and trades uh, guild there of silversmiths, which indeed there was because they found that archaeologically that there was a guild of these craftsmen who would create um, things having to do with um, Diana or Artemis, just a different name, and they would do silver shrines. And um, it's interesting how... The culture of Ephesus, the commerce, the religion, and the pride of the city was all bound up in idol worship. Mm -hmm. We see that because of what happens with this riot here. I mean, these folks were upset because they were losing money and trade, but that also meant people weren't going to be coming. If Artemis or Diana was losing um, patron patronage, then that was going to affect the entire city, the entire area and their reputation. So there was a lot vested in this. Um, so again, a picture of when the light shines with power into the darkness, how the hold is broken. And if you notice what they were yelling when they went in, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. That's words of worship. Mm -hmm. yeah. For two hours, that's all they mm -hmm. were screaming. Mm -hmm. It might have I, been a festival. They looked. I looked it up too. It might have been a festival when they actually did that. They, they there was a, there was a week long festival where they did at yes. Least long, yes, and they would do it with the other pagan gods as well. They would say great is, yes. and then whatever the next god was. So, but yes, what a zeal! I know. And the, and the other idea is there is no secular government there. It is all idol worshiping government. So the money that comes to the temple from those guilds is yes. actually idol worship. Also the, the the banking, like you can take a loan or you can you can you can put your treasures in there. You were saying that you found uh, something about actually like deep treasuries where people would put their um, the rich people. Yes, the, put their the temple actually, yeah, it had been used as a banking, bank. Right? There were rich people from all over mm -hmm. would come and they would actually have a place where they. Yeah. Or their their riches. Yeah. So, so it, it was, was all, all about money one. and worship. It was all in one. And you know, this made me think, Colby, about ourselves. Um, because, I mean, if if I'm to examine my life, and I guess you yours, and our culture and the society that we're in right now, and we know our society is is changing. As we talked about that last week's teaching, you know, it's going, it's going, uh, it's not. It's going upside down right now, but we wanted to go right side up. But, <laughs> but how much are we impacted really by the things of this world? And I, I, was, I was put a question to myself. How much do we actually participate to invest in these things or celebrate or even pursue them? Um, in comparison, how much are we making an impact on our culture, neighborhood, or families for Christ mm -hmm. as his ambassadors? Mm -hmm. I mean, are we truly, as Romans talks about, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind? How much of conforming is actually happening? Because we are in a culture of idol worship too. Mm -hmm. Self is at the, the, the center of the throne. Money, self, I mean, we could dissect that in a whole nother episode or two or three, mm -hmm. but how much are we drawn into the culture we live in so that we are supporting or, or uh, elevating these things mm -hmm. even without and, even thinking about them? Yes. Yes. And you know, that again brings me to that, what I said in the very beginning that I think we're all on that line of being filled with the spirit Christians. I'm saying now Christians and we can be, Paul is a great example of someone walking in God's will affecting the governments he is having great influence yes. over the governments in the governments in the cities in the history of the world we're reading a book that is you know 
what is it? One third of the uh, New New Testament, right? Or the yeah, where is it even? Uh, that is written by Paul. He's walking in the Lord, but Paul himself could have not done it. It is Holy Spirit through him, Holy yes. Spirit through them, Holy Spirit in them. Amen. We are reading the book of Acts of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. Yes. God's deeds through the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. And we can't forget, it's not about any one person. And when you say how influential or without influence we are, I think it truly is in correlation to how much way we give in our own personal lives. How much do we die to our own will and make room for the Holy Spirit to take over? Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about the joy as well. And you said, yeah. you know, when Jesus says to his disciples, I have bread that you do not know of. Mm. They're going after the fleshly bread. They're like, okay, everybody's hungry. Where's the bread? Yes. And he says, I have bread you do not know of. It is to do my father's will. My soul, body, and spirit are refreshed because I've been doing my Father's will. Mm. Meditate on that. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. We can live on just doing God's will for quite a bit because it is the sustenance for our bodies. The daily sustenance is to do the Father's will. Yes. And I, we, don't, we don't always have the connection yet. But, oh boy, let the God reveal, let God reveal it to us. Let us step as the time of darkness is kind of encroaching. Let us be infused with the light of the Lord and be manifesting Christ. He be manifesting us. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Yeah. Well, ladies, um, thank you for enduring with us in this. This has been great, Colby. I really love it. We just sit and we talk, but then everybody's listening to us going on for an hour. Hopefully it was uh, a blessing to all of you. And uh, we pray that you all will have a refreshing week in the Lord. And as we continue to dig into the word together, um, let us remember to invite the Holy Spirit to open our understanding and to trust him to do his good and perfect work in us. Exactly how God has planned. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye.